0: Alright, we're looking at Mark chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 30 through 37. So let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And He did not want anyone to know, for He was teaching His disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him. And when He is killed, after three days, He will rise. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. All men are like grass, and all of man's glory is like the flower of the field. Uh, Grass withers and flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we... Uh, consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we pause for a moment before we, as we read your word and as we continue to talk about it, because uh, we need you. We might think that we can understand this in and of ourselves, but the truth is uh, that we would not be able to without your, um, your goodness to us without you opening our ears. So, Father, would you, by your Holy Spirit, actually be here in this place. And since you are the author of these words, we pray that you would be the teacher and the applier of them to us so that we might see you in your grace and your mercy. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm I'm guessing that you're familiar with the, uh, the acronym. It's an acronym, right? Uh, GOAT, G-O-A-T, right, greatest of all time. Um, you know, greatness, uh, who's the greatest? Um, that's a subject that we tend to discuss well, with some frequency. And it seems to come up a lot, especially in the world of sports. If you're a sports fan, you know that. We, we have lots of debates that go on and on. Um, there, are really, there are really very few sports that have a clear cut you know, almost indisputable goat, right, greatest of all time. Uh, I think hockey probably has a clear-cut greatest of all time, Wayne Gretzky. I'm not a hockey fan by any stretch, but he seems to be the greatest. Um, Boxing has Muhammad Ali, but then you get into football, and in football it gets pretty interesting, Um, and obviously you've got to determine, you know, if you know, which positions, and if if one transcends the others, you're usually talking quarterbacks, and Montana versus Brady, and is it just championships, and how many times you make it to the Super Bowl, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, in golf, the question of greatness is, you know, is it Tiger, or is it Jack? Um, basketball, I think, might be, uh, in some ways, might be the most interesting. It was just a lock for the last couple of decades that it was Michael Jordan, but now, you know, is it LeBron James, and So there's plenty of debate there. And then you have to figure out what defines greatness, right? Are we just going to count number of championships? What about individual accolades like scoring titles and MVPs and on and on? And how do you weigh each of those things? And, you know, you can go on forever. And sure enough, as you're having those discussions um, about sports, somebody will come along and, and not be excited about that conversation and say, how can somebody that plays a game be great, right? You know, the real great ones in society are the, and you know, fill in the blank, the teachers or doctors or, you know, whatever. Uh, and that, there's certainly a lot of truth in that. Um, so yeah, in a sense, we all have to decide what greatness is. Something we talk about a lot. So what is it? What is, what is true Greatness. And that, I think, is exactly what this passage uh, is about. This semester, if you've been with us, you know we've, we're studying through the Gospel of Mark. And our theme every week is Wide-Eyed Wonder. Because that seems to be the way that Mark writes his Gospel. It's the shortest Gospel. It's, it focuses on what Jesus does. It's very action-packed. It moves really quickly. Um, you get the feeling that it's like a little kid uh, that's excited about something and they're just... He just can't get it all out fast enough, he's so excited. Uh, and he's so excited about Jesus. Um, and tonight, I think what we see uh, is that Jesus really, he shows us, tells us what greatness uh, is all about. And so I want to look at that tonight. I want to look at three things tonight about greatness. First, we're going to see uh, greatness desired. Greatness desired. Secondly, we'll look at greatness defined. And thirdly, we'll see greatness demonstrated. So, greatness desired, defined, and demonstrated. All right. Uh, they all, if you notice, they're all like greatness, and then it all starts with D, which uh, I thought was pretty cheesy. All right. If anybody else wants to throw anything, now's the time. All right, so uh, greatness, greatness desired. Look, as, as we dig in here, uh, we need to remember our, our context. Where are we in this, in this story of Mark? Uh, remember a couple of weeks ago, we said that the first half of Mark, like Mark 1 through 8, um, Mark 1 through 8 focuses, um, its purpose is really to show us how Jesus, uh, he has the authority of God himself. That he has the authority to be and is the Messiah. That he's the one that's come, that he's God in the flesh. And the second half of of the gospel is focusing more on on what Jesus has come to do. Or or maybe even how he's come to do it. And in particular that he's going to suffer and he's going to die as the Messiah. Uh, And tonight in verses 30 through 32, what we have is Jesus' second prediction of his death. This is the second time that Jesus has gotten his disciples away from everybody else and is is telling them uh, about how he's going to be delivered into the hands of men and how he's going to be killed. And so the disciples, to some degree, they actually they seem to get the fact, again, just to some degree, that he really is the Messiah, that he's this that he's the hero, the great one that God's promised Uh, that he's the son of, you know, he refers to himself as the son of man from Daniel 7. But it's this aspect when he says that he's going to be, that he's going to suffer and he's going to die. They they just don't get that at all. That just doesn't seem to make it in. And it's pretty painfully obvious that they don't get it based on what happens next uh, in verses 33 through 37. So the scene is uh, they've been walking uh, they've been walking along, traveling to this town called Capernaum. And so it's, you know, almost certainly Jesus is sort of leading the way and walking ahead of them just a little bit, and they're kind of following, you know, lining up behind him, and, and they're talking as they, as they go along. And when they get there, when they get to Capernaum and they, they go inside, Jesus asks them, he basically says, like, hey, what, what were you guys talking about as we were uh, walking here? And you could have heard a pin drop. Because they were utterly embarrassed, right? Now, why were they embarrassed? Because they were arguing. What were they talking about? They were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Can you imagine how awkward that would be? Like you get inside and you know, you've had that discussion. Jesus, hey guys, what, what were y'all talking about? And just like, oh man, really don't want to answer that question, Right. Alright, so picture the scene as they're walking along. Um, now obviously we don't know exactly what they how they talked about it, but I, I think it probably is very reasonable that it would sound something like this. Um, you know, all right, so they're walking along, maybe talking about what Jesus meant about this dying and then rising from the dead, because it said they, you know, didn't understand that. So maybe Disciple One says, Well, why didn't you just ask him? Are you scared? Disciple two, no, I'm not scared. What would I be scared of? After all, he asked me to go up, to the mount, up on the mountain with him, the mountain of transfiguration, right? And, and we saw him shine like you wouldn't believe. And in fact, you probably wouldn't believe it. In fact, he even asked us not to even talk to you about it. And I wonder why. And oh, by the way, what were you doing while we were up there? Oh yeah, you were totally screwing up an exorcism. Disciple three, yeah, well, at least I wasn't up there on the mountain spouting off stupid stuff like, Jesus, we should build a tent for you and Moses and Elijah. So stupid that God the Father himself had to speak from heaven and say, be quiet, listen to Jesus. Disciple four, y'all both shut up because, look, we all botched the last demon, that's clear. But come talk to me when you've driven out half the number of demons that I've driven out. Disciple five, really? Really? You think you're so great. Well, then tell me this. Why did Jesus pick you last? And on and on and on it could go, right? That might seem silly, but I bet it sounded something just like that. Um, Right? It seems crazy to think about that. But the Bible says that the disciples were actually arguing about which one was the greatest. So this is Peter, James, John, Matthew, right? Right? They're the disciples. And yes, in some sense, they are the, the pillars of Christianity, right? I mean, these men are, are um, gosh, they're, I mean, they're, they're amazing in some sense, right? But you've got to keep in mind who they really were, right? These were average, everyday nobodies. They were fishermen, tax collectors. They were just average Joe people. And they're arguing about which one is the greatest. And why are they doing that? They're arguing about which one is the greatest because each one of them desperately wanted to be great. They desperately wanted to be great. And I bet it's not too hard for us to recognize that the same's true for all of us. Right? I mean, we all want to find greatness inside of us some way. We're all desperate to be important. We all want to matter in life, and if we're honest about it, if we stop and think about it, we all act just like these disciples, right? I bet if you if you'll stop and get reflective about why you do the things that you do, and I mean anything, just stop and think why I do like what I did, uh, why I chose this major why I go to the, why I hang out with the people that I hang out with. I mean, everything. I bet that if you're, if you're willing to stop and be reflective, you'll begin to see that a huge part of your motivation and my motivation is this desire for greatness. It has that behind it. Right? Think about, think about the way that you, um, that you maybe size up that we all tend to size up everybody else that, we're, uh, that we come in contact with. Because we all want to see how we are superior in some form or fashion to everybody else, right? Um, if you're familiar with uh, the comedian Brian Regan, um, he has this routine. This is you know years ago, but he has this routine about the me monster, how it tends to come out in all of us, and how we're always one-upping each other's story, right? And he says he has this social fantasy that he wishes he could be one of the whatever it is, like 10, 12, 15 people that have ever walked on the moon, so that he can listen to, you know you can, he can listen to you, tell your story about how you did whatever, and just, he can just sit back, and then when you're done talking, he can just say, "I walked on the moon." Right? It's just the ultimate kind of mic drop like you can't top that. Um, but that's all of us, right? Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I feel it, I guess, most vividly in my own life. Um, like we said, Olivia and David are at training. Uh, campus ministers have training for uh, two weeks out of the year, a week in the summer and a week in uh, in December. And it is, it's, it's awesome. It's so much fun to get to be with all my campus ministers, you know, it's all the REF campus ministers and all our staff. and uh, So it's so much fun. But... You know, I go into that week and I'm surrounded by 149 or so other um, campus ministers that do exactly what I do. And I find this sinful tendency in my heart that, like, I I fear that I'm really bad at what I do, but I want to be great at it. And so I'm always sizing up. It's almost like you can't help it. I'm always sizing up everybody else and trying to figure out, okay, how, how am I just a little bit above you? Right, and it goes like this: Like, okay, well, um, I'm older. I'm older than this guy, right? After all, it's called wisdom, right? Well, but I'm 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 younger than this guy. After all, right? It's called being relevant to students. Uh, I've been in Ruf longer, right? I get the philosophy of ministry. I've been in Ruf shorter than this guy, right? Like, isn't it time to grow up and get a real pastor job? I've got uh, I've got more kids than this guy, right? I've got less kids than that guy. Um, I've got I've got a, um, I've got a bigger group. We have a bigger ministry than him, right? It's you know um, I, I know how to I know how to build a group. I've got a smaller group than that guy. That's where the real ministry is, pal. Right? You get the idea. It just it's just on and on. I can't help it. It's in my heart because. I want to find out what I want to be great, and I bet you do the same thing. Your three, you know, your three eight GPA uh, means you're you're better than that girl. But the four O girl, well, I mean, at least you have some social skills, right? Um, your family has more money than them, or, or less money than them. You're in a fraternity, or you're not in a fraternity. Um, it can be your athletics, or whether you're dating somebody or not. It can be how fast you drive or how slow you drive. It can be how much you read your Bible or how much you get grace and are free not to read your Bible and on and on and on, right? We're all desperate to be great. It's just part of who we are. Alright, so secondly, I want us to look at greatness defined. Greatness defined. So Jesus asked this this piercing question in the room just goes dead silent because they know they're all busted, right? And, right can you feel how, how stark the contrast would be, especially when it's Jesus asking the question? Right, the only perfect person that's ever lived. But notice what Jesus does. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't, he doesn't make fun of them or berate them. He just patiently, he patiently teaches them. He defines greatness for them. Verse 35, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Right? He's telling the disciples and he's telling us what true greatness really is. And it's backwards from the way we tend to think about it, the way the world thinks about it. And right, to, I guess to say it properly, the world, the way we think about it, it's backwards. Right? Jesus certainly has it right. Uh, the world, we define greatness basically like this. It's how much power you can exert on the world around you. Um, how, much, how, how much influence or dominance you can have to make, uh, to make the world around you do what you want it to do. Right? For example, how high you can make the score go. How far you can make that ball fly. Um, How much money you can make, how many things you can buy, how many people you're able to fire, whatever it is. It's how much strength you can exert for your benefit. But Jesus says that true greatness is really in some sense the the opposite of that. That true greatness or real strength is actually laying down your power or your strength for the sake of other people. That the measure of true greatness is the degree to which you don't exert your strength. It's the the degree to which you rather uh, rather lay it down for the sake of other people. That's greatness. Um, Yeah, that you can... That you can lay down your uh, your strength for somebody else evidences it evidences a lot more strength or greatness in you, right? Let me. I'll, I'll give you an example. After I take a sip of water, um, I had a, a friend of mine. This was years ago, who uh, grew up with a guy that um, uh, at the time his sort of hobby, sort of job, side job, I guess, was racing um, Porsches. I don't know, Porsches? Porsches? I don't know how to say that, but right, multiple cars, not at one time. Um, and so he actually, uh, he came into town uh, to where my friend lived, and he brought one of his, his cars, and so he took him for a ride out in the country on these, you know, curvy roads, and he said it was unbelievable, right? we was just flying around, and you know in perfect control and he said we kind of come back into town and uh we're at this red light and this guy pulls up next to us and he's in this like you know like mustang or whatever you know i don't know just sort of normal you know buy it at the dealership sports car and this guy starts the the other guy starts revving his engine and wants to race this guy I mean, this guy's in a professional, like you can't just go buy this car, right? It's designed to race, and it's a Porsche, and he wants to race him. And so my friend's friend, he he revs his engine back like, all right, yeah, let's do this, right? And so the light turns green, and they both just lay it down, and they take off. And he said, you know, they're they're going for a little bit, and um, he says, he looks over at me, and he says, I'm going to let him have this one. He said he hadn't even gotten out of first gear yet. Like, this guy's given everything he's got. He hadn't even gotten out of first gear yet. And he, and, he, and he edges off just a little bit and he lets this guy win. Right? He could have destroyed this guy. Right? And it would have been impressive in some sense. But which, which, one, which version do you like better? Which one shows, in a sense, more greatness or more strength? Right? I think it's the one where he says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give you this one. I'm going, to, I'm going to not show my strength. I'm going to lay it down. Um, you've heard my Hunger Games uh, illustration. Uh, I'll do it again real quick. Um, I've done it, I think, once a semester since I've been here. Similar idea to illustrate. Um, imagine that the United States decides we're going to do the Hunger Games, and we pick one representative from all 50 states. We drop them off in Yellowstone Park, and it's, you know, to the death and one of the fifty is a Navy seal in the prime of his career, and you' got a bunch of just you know us average joe people, but this but this guy, and one of the state's representatives is this uh, you know let's say like five year old little girl now it would in a, in a very morbid admittedly morbid sense be impressive to watch how a Navy seal could with the greatest of ease dispatch 49 other people and win that thing it would not be hard and that in a sense would be greatness but what if he took care of the what other 48 and then did himself in for the sake of that little girl which one's really great right I think it's pretty easy to see it's it's when the strength is laid down for the sake of others. Right? It's actually stronger. That's what true greatness is, as Jesus defines it. So, thirdly and finally, let's look at uh, greatness demonstrated. Now, we see that Jesus defines uh, greatness very differently from the way that we tend to, but then he gives his disciples a, a demonstration of what it looks like. Right? Sort of this uh, living illustration. See in verse 36 and 7, Jesus takes this little child and he he pulls this child into into their circle and he picks him up, takes him in in his arms, holds him, and he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. All right, so what's this all about? What what does that mean? All right, well, keep in mind that especially in, in this day and age, that Children were not highly regarded uh, in society. Now, look, that's not to say that they, um, they weren't loved and cared for and such, because they were. But just, it, you know, outside of the family, in society, they, they just really didn't count for anything. Just sort of didn't matter. Yeah, you didn't really matter until you grew up, so to speak. Um, so Jesus is giving these disciples, who are, they're, they're arguing about who's, who's the most powerful, who's the most important. And he's showing them that, that real greatness is receiving and serving those that don't really matter to the world. To receive is to, uh, is to embrace, to take in, right to accept somebody, to treat them like they really do matter. So in other words, we could say to lay down your your energy or your strength um, and and spend it on people that that can't or won't pay you back. So what would that look like for us? What would true greatness, right? Greatness as Jesus defines it, what would that look like? Um, What would it look like for me and you to spend our energy and our strength on people that won't... That won't um, forward our agenda. Well, it might, um, you know, any number of things. It might look like, maybe in more vivid ways, it might look like actually serving children or serving the poor, the homeless, uh, the sick. Uh, It might look somewhat more subtle, like uh, giving up some of your time. Giving up time that you would normally spend with those that you like to be accepted by because you know you can make them laugh or uh, they think that you're um, attractive or whatever, giving up some of the time that, that, that would further your agenda uh, and spending some time with that person maybe that struggles socially, that doesn't have friends. And, and not doing it so that everybody else can see, like, look at that, that is, that's amazing. But, but doing it because you, you care about them because they need a friend. Maybe it could look like giving up some of your study time. Study time that would move you from like getting a 93 to, to getting the 98 that you want. But I don't know. Maybe you can give up some of your study time and, and help somebody that struggles in that class. Uh, maybe it looks like... Maybe in those times when you could exercise your strength... And you could prove that you're, you're actually right about whatever you're uh, talking about. But you actually lay down your right, your rightness for the sake of the, the friendship. Maybe it looks like that. Uh, maybe it looks like when you know that you could continue to dominate the conversation and tell another story that would make people laugh or make people think you're really cool, but maybe it looks like laying that down and and asking them about them, and caring about them. Maybe that's what greatness would really look like for us. Um, several years ago, uh, before I did Ruf, I was working at a church, and I worked at a, it was a pretty big church. And there were there were a lot of truly talented, uh, godly people in this church. And my uh, my boss and I used to talk uh, every once in a while about all right who. Who's the, uh, in a sense, sort of this discussion, not about ourselves, we knew it was us, but who's the, who's the greatest in the kingdom here? Like, who's God using the most, right? If you could put on kingdom glasses from God's perspective, who would be having the most impact? And right, the first candidate that you would think of would be the senior minister, because he was uh, and is brilliant, just this amazing theological mind. You know, he spoke to hundreds and hundreds of people every week, heard him preach, and he's a good preacher. He, you know, he writes books. He goes to, speaks at big conferences, right? Like, lots of impact for the kingdom. And very good candidate. Maybe it's the teaching minister because he preaches. His sermons are so amazing. Um, you know, maybe it's the best Sunday school teacher. Uh, but we decided, you know, as much as we can decide, our, our guess, the more we thought about it, uh, it would, that it was probably, the, um, it was probably the, the oldest guy on the staff. The oldest guy on the staff, um, and he wasn't good up front. I think they even made him stop, like, you know, helping in worship. He just just wasn't good up front. Um, He didn't have the flashy, you know, gifts like that. Um, He he was kind of an odd dude, kind of quirky. Um, But what he did, his job, was he went and he visited the elderly, and the sick and the dying and that's what he did every day and he did it really well and after thinking about it we said you know it, it's probably that guy because nobody really thinks twice about him in some ways he kind of gets snickered out but he, he gives his life to the people that, that just don't seem to matter right and again, it's to say nothing of the other people, right? That they're not, so those other guys aren't great. But there's just something about that, right? The true greatness. But I want to I end with this thought. How do you get to be truly great? How do, you, how do you become that kind of person that can lay down their strength for others? Uh, what, you know, what is it that can do that? And the answer is it's only the, it's only the good news of the gospel, it's only the gospel. Did you see it in this passage? Because it's somewhat hidden, but I think it's there in verse 37. When Jesus says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Because here's what that is not saying. It's the way we probably tend to read it—is What we tend to hear is that Jesus is saying, if you accept children like this, or people maybe that don't matter like this, then you will receive me. Like, you know, then I'll come into your heart. If you do these things, then I'll love you. I'll come into your heart. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying that that treating treating somebody like this child, somebody that doesn't matter, in quotes, that treating them uh, like receiving them and loving them, it's the same thing as loving me. To show kindness to this child, it's the same thing as if you showed it to me. And so do you see what Jesus is saying? He's identifying Himself with the lowest of the low. He's saying, what you you do to these kinds of people, you do to me. Why? Because I I am these people. My life is tied to them. And that's the good news. That's what Jesus has come to do, right? It's what He's been trying to tell them all along, along, and that's where we started. That He's going to suffer, and He's going to die, and He's going to do it. Why? Why? In the place of needy, lowly people. Because he is the greatest. He is the greatest. He embodies greatness to the highest degree because he identifies himself with the lowest of the low. He lays down his life and his strength for screwed up people like us. Uh, listen to Philippians 2 6 through 8. Speaking about Jesus as though he was in, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And and that's it. it it's only that good news that can make you great because you you and I you will never be great as Jesus defines it until you know that you don't have to serve yourself until you until you know that you you actually are okay because Jesus says you're okay because Jesus looks at you and says you matter so much that I'm going to give my life for you and the only way that can actually happen is by admitting that you're not great it's by admitting that you are the lowest of the low, that I am a screwed-up sinner, because it's exactly those kind of people that Jesus that Jesus identifies with. It's those kind of people that He says, I, "I'm right there with you so much so that I'm going I'm to give you me. I'm going to give you my righteousness, and I'm going to take your sin." And if you have that, if you have that, then, then you don't have to take it from other people. And you can actually begin to give it away because you've got it in spades. You'll be freed up to lay down your strength and, and serve other people. And that's the, that's the good news. That's, the, that's what's offered to all of us tonight. And I hope you take it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are truly great because you... There is no one, no thing stronger and greater than you, and, and yet you, you lay it down for us. Um, Father, we uh, thank you for that, we love you for that, and we pray that you would uh, impact every one of our hearts with that tonight, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.